of the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Then I began to weep bitterly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir of David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slain. But it was now standing between the throne and the four living creatures. And among the twenty-four elders, he had seven horns and seven eyes with, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. He stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and they held golden bowls filled with the incense which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song with the, these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slain and your blood has ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God. And they will reign on the earth. Then I looked again. And I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels. Around the throne. And the living beings. And the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. To receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. And they sang, blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped the Lamb. All for you, the Lamb was slain. For your sins, for your failures, for your mistakes, for your alienation from God, the Lamb of God was slain. And heaven still crying out. If you could tune into heaven this morning, you would hear that song continuously being sung on your behalf. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. I asked myself this question. Why do I worship? It's a question you might think that wasn't relevant to ask. Why why do I worship? I, I worship regularly. But why do I worship? And when I worship, what am I actually doing? I have no criticism of how we do things, what we do, when we do them. But I'm aware of the fact that there are some times that I get into rote. I'm as guilty as anyone else, and I stop myself. Why am I doing this? 
Well, it's the right thing to do. Yes, but am I thinking about it? Am I expressing worship? Or am I just going through motions? And I have to correct myself regularly that I don't slide into that attitude of this is just what I do. A friend of mine who pastors one of our Elim churches uh, shared this story with me. Um, after a morning service, a lady had come to the service who wasn't a regular member, had never been before. And um, <clears throat> the service went through its usual pattern. And the service ended. And there was going to be the ubiquitous coffee and tea afterwards. And this lady left and went into the foyer of the church. The pastor's wife went out to help the ladies with the tea and coffee. And as she walked out through the foyer to go to the kitchen area, this lady was on the phone. And she was obviously talking to somebody about her experience. And she, these were the words that my friend's wife overheard. No, it was lovely. They're lovely people and I enjoyed myself. And you'll never guess what. They also have karaoke. <laughs> it's what we call worship. Unchurched. Inexperienced of church. Her view of it was, we sing karaoke. Words are on the screen and everybody sings along. The only thing missing is the little bouncing ball. <laughs> but it begs the question, do I know what I'm doing when I'm doing it? Even if what I'm doing is right. Why do I worship? I'm going to put up a small portion of the scripture that I read. If you can put that up. And I want us to read it out loud. All of us together. If you can read the screen, it should be right. Sorry about the color scheme. Read it with me. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And it's not that that's run the course. Those things encapsulate everything that belongs to Jesus. But when I worship, I have to be reminded that I'm coming before the Lamb that was slain. The one who paid the price for everything that needed to be paid to bring redemption to humanity and personally to you and me. It is the Lamb's glory. It is Jesus' honor. It is His wisdom, His power, His riches. All the blessings belong to Him. We don't own them. You can be blessed. You can receive degrees of honor. But they don't belong to us. They belong to to the Lamb. And if you receive anything that elevates you, surrender it quickly and give it to the one to whom it belongs. 
This is the heart of worship. The meaning and the power of the word worthy, it glares at you when you read it and see it because it has a a word that has become something from an original beginning. The word worth has become worship. Its journey, linguistically, worth and worth-ship has evolved into worship. So when we speak of worship, we're speaking of his worth. It's not something that clicks me or presses the buttons in me or I like to do that. I enjoy the worship and all those things are true. But I must regularly return to why do I worship? Because he is worthy. The lamb is worthy. It's worth-ship which has evolved to worship. And as the saints gather as we do and we should it is good that we do we should not be half-hearted about our gathering. It's the empowerment of togetherness that brings honor to the Lord. When we gather, we gather for the purpose of bringing worth to Christ. Your name is written, if you're saved, your name is written in the book of life only because of what he has done. And what he holds dear and protects. And when the Holy Spirit comes as we gather, he comes to help us to appropriate and give to all the deserving worship that belongs to the Lamb. The Holy Spirit's purpose primarily in the congregation of the church is to help us elevate Jesus. There are gifts and there are blessings and there are all sorts of interactions with the Holy Spirit, but his primary reason is to help us to bring Christ to the fore. To bring Jesus into focus and to bring him all the praise. To bring him deserving worship that is honorable to the King of Kings and Lords of, Lord of Lords. The one who sits upon the throne and all heaven worships and sings on our behalf worthy is the lamb and as our worship gains momentum and we bring our adoration to him it is then we begin to feel and understand by the administration of the holy spirit all this belongs to him all this belongs to jesus it's nice to have a good feeling it's nice to feel warmth and strength and all the kind of little fuzzy bits that go along the edges of our experience. But at the center of it all must be Christ. So now I ask myself, why is Jesus worthy of all this praise and honor? I'll tell you why. Other I don't think you know, but I will remind you why Jesus is worthy of all of this only he was found worthy to open the scroll it wasn't that someone was picked they searched all 
and only he was found worthy. And don't forget when John witnessed the revelation of Christ. He said, I saw thousands and millions of angels. Innumerable angels in heaven. Million, he could count them in millions. He had no figure to really get to grips with what he saw. But he said that there were thousands and millions and millions of angels. And no one amongst the millions was found worthy. These unsullied spiritual beings, those millions and millions of angels that had not fallen from grace with God, were searched and found wanting. They could not open the scroll. No one was worthy. And we're talking about angels and archangels and seraphims and cherubims and all the council of heaven, innumerable in number, and yet no one was found worthy until, and then John begins to weep, and one of the elders says, stop weeping. There's one, and only one. And he's not an angel. He is God incarnate. The lamb that was slain. He is worthy. That's why we worship. He alone was found worthy. Secondly, only he could offer his blood as redemption for your sin. He carried no sin. The perfect, spotless Lamb of God. Born into humanity and never sinning. Tempted in every way that you and I are and yet he never fell. Every temptation that has been common to man, he conquered. The mission to get to Calvary to die for you and rise in power that you might be called children of God. Thirdly, only he could fulfill all the law of God which could not be fulfilled by anyone else. And fourthly, only he could conquer death and open the way for us to be called those children of God. He is worthy. And that's why we worship. And it's not karaoke. It should be the expression of our deepest affection and love and gratitude to the one and only amongst all of humanity and all of heaven's host. Only one found worthy to open the scroll. The word that had become flesh. God incarnate. Who created all things. Subjected himself. And emptied himself. That he might be humbled. And a servant king. That you and I. Worms. Broken. Shameful. Cracked, who once as a humanity bore the image of God and we broke it. 
We were the most beautiful and the best of God's creation. And we broke it. It's like being given a wonderful, priceless gift and you broke it. But God in his mercy said, I will not only mend you, I will make you anew. We're not patched up. We're brand new when we come to Christ. You're not the patched up version of your old self. You are a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. And he did it all. That's why we worship. Because he's worthy. You'll be familiar with these words. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him. And without him nothing was made that was made. And in him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness could not comprehend or overcome it. The darkness in you could not fight back against the light that came. And you have been born again. And if you haven't, this is your time to listen. You see, the list, let me take a moment to run through them. Worthy of power. Many of us will know that the word that John uses there is dunamis. It actually allows us to understand that it means miraculous power, all power. Not just a power, but all power. Belongs to him. Riches. The word means abundance. In other words, everything. All riches belong to him. Wisdom. The highest wisdom possible. And all other wisdom in subjection to that. Strength means mighty in all things. The word that's used for that. Honor means to receive the highest esteem. Worthy means dignity in the original text. And worthy of blessing, highest commendation. The highest commendation... The greatest of all wisdom, the might in all things, the highest esteem and all the dignity possible belongs, not just given to, but belongs to him. And it's a breakthrough moment when you realize you're not giving something to Jesus, you're recognizing what he already has. You and I have never given him anything but our brokenness. But when he took that, he made you new, and you are able to come before the throne of God, cleansed and purified, called a child of God, so that you can say, worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb that was slain. We come before the throne of grace, and I wonder sometimes, and I I've been guilty of it and I probably will stumble many times. But you come before God and the first thing that comes out of your mouth, oh God help me, please heal me, please help me get through this, please change this. It's our petition. And we miss the beat. If we are to follow the right path, 
when the disciples came to Jesus and said, would you teach us to pray? They asked him that because they'd seen him do it. And it was different to theirs. And we know it full well. He said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And until you have passed through that, only then, when we acknowledge his greatness, his majesty, his kingship, his glory, his worthiness, his honor, his praise, we come through all of that before Father God, then and only then, when we have positioned ourselves, when we have said, you are God, and you're worthy, Lord Jesus, of power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing, give me this day my daily bread. Because then we're in the position to realize that we're not just begging, we're coming to the provider of all things who is worthy of our praise. I don't think Jesus structured that arbitrarily. I think there is a fundamental truth in the structure of that famous prayer. If you read the scriptures... I'll be careful how I say this, because this is not a criticism. But if you read the scriptures, you will always find that doxology and theology live together. And doxology, I'll explain them in a moment for anyone who wants to know a little bit more about those words, Doxology follows theology. You'll find it in the scripture. I'm simplifying that. Doxology, let's call that worship and praise. And theology, preaching and teaching. In the majority, if not all of our churches today, we do it the other way around. We bring our theology after our doxology. And yet our, our doxology, our worship, our praise, our adoration, our affirmation, our crescendo of thanksgiving might just flow. And I've got no problem with the structure. I'm just looking at the evidence. What would happen if we heard the word and then entered worship. I wonder. I'm not criticizing our structure. I've lived with it for over 45 years um, and grew up with it from the age of 15. I, I get it. It's okay and it sits okay with me in the main. But I'm asking a question of myself. What would it be like if we were illuminated into the scriptures And then released to bring praise. I'll hang it there. It's not a criticism. I'm just wondering. I do a lot of wondering. I wonder what that means. I wonder what to do with it. I wonder where it's going. My life is a wonder. Why I worship. The reason I worship primarily is that I'm born again. My name is written in the book of life. I have it by promise. 
It was bought with blood. It's sealed in heaven. And it's mine in him. That's why I worship. And there is no other creature in heaven or on earth that can sing the song I can. And you can if you're saved. There's not a beast on earth or an angel in heaven can sing the song that you can sing. They will sing it on your behalf. It's what John heard. But it's a song we bring. It's called the song of the redeemed. Not one angel is redeemed. Of the millions and millions that John saw, not one of them had a redemptive aspect to them. The fallen angels are fallen. The unfallen angels are still present. But not one of them are redeemed. The only people redeemed is you and I in Christ. And it's our song for him. And I try to remind myself when I sing beautiful and renditious and God-honoring songs. Not an angel in heaven can sing this. Not any other creature in heaven or earth can sing what I'm now singing. Worthy is the Lamb. Thank you for my salvation. Whatever expressions bring forth that truth. Only the redeemed can sing it. It's called in Revelation a new song. And it's the song, as I say, of the redeemed. It tells me in the scriptures as well, in, in 1 Peter, that angels strain or long to look into this. I don't want to freak you out. But while we were worshipping this morning, and some of us raising our hands and were singing, and I looked around and hands were raised and eyes were closed and some people were swaying and, uh, and I did it on purpose. I thought, well, I know what I'm going to talk about. I'll have a quick look. And um, <clears throat> I had a peek at you. And, and some of you were just worshipping. Some of you were lost in it. Um, some of you were on your phones. Um, <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> and I looked. And the song of the redeemed echoing in heaven. We offer this. And angels pick it up and bring it to the throne. And your church is, your church is singing Jesus. Your bride is singing your praise. Your bride loves you, Jesus. You're the worthy lamb that was slain. She's awakened this day to bring you praise. The bride has dressed herself in praise and worship and glory and honor and majesty. And it's all for you. And she's come and she's not sullied and she's not shamed. And she's not uh, in any way um, irreligious. She is coming with honor to you. The angels looking in going... They have arrived, Jesus, to worship you. We're straining to look into what they're doing because we don't have this, but they do. You bought them with your blood and they sing his honor on our behalf. That's why I worship. He is worthy. Jesus talked to a woman at the well. You'll know the story, I'm sure. And uh, 
her conversation with him is interesting. She says, and she enters into some kind of theological debate with Jesus. I mean, who would dare? You know? But she says, uh, now, we, Samaritans, we, we worship on the mountain. The holy mountain where all the, the law was given and, and God's presence was in cloud and mystery. We worship on the mountain. You worship down here in the temple. Who's right? Do you know that's an age old question? Who's right? The unbeliever, the atheist, the agnostic, they look at us all across the globe Christians, Muslims, Hindus. Sikhs, Buddhists, every ism you can think of. And they go, who's right? You all say you're right. So who's right? It's an honest question. Who's right? It's the same question that Jesus asked, uh, that the woman asked Jesus. Who's right? And he said, none of us. Neither the day will come and is come not on the mountain or in the temple. Will you worship? That's not how it's going to be. The Father is looking for those who will come and worship Him in spirit and in truth. And the reason that our faith, our experience as followers of Christ, and acknowledges of him and him only, that only he is the full expression of the Father, that there is only one true God who ex- ex- revealed himself in his Son. The reason, and it's not with arrogance, that we go, we know that we're right, is because the witness of the Spirit confirms in you and me that we, by spirit and truth, are worshippers of the Lamb. It's not primarily our structure. It is our experience. Our new birth. Our new beginning. Our new hope. The old has passed away. We're not keeping the law he has kept that and fulfilled it for us we are the redeemed and should say so in spirit and in truth I don't need to kneel to worship there's nothing wrong with it but I don't need to do that to worship to qualify that I'm worshipping I don't need to posture myself in some identifiable fashion and position to tell people I'm worshipping. I have to examine my actions, my words, and make sure they always bring honor to Jesus. That's my position of worship. That represents my bended knee and my posture of praise. And will we fail? At bringing him glory? Yes. Will we stumble? At doing our best? Of course we will. It goes without saying that we've all stumbled. 
but you are not condemned. His mercy is new every morning. And I am so grateful for that. I'm so grateful when I open my eyes in the morning, He's already been watching over me. It is the grace of God. When Peter denied Jesus three times, I can barely comprehend what that might have been like for him, but <clears throat> he couldn't look at Jesus. There was a glance, we're told in Scripture. It says, immediately while he was still speaking, this is Peter, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. I'm certain that he could not look at Jesus in the eye again. Jesus had looked at him. I don't think with condemnation. I think with great sadness and great sorrow that Peter had fallen but Peter wept bitterly Jesus dies is buried raises, rises from the grave having conquered death not just do you know let me be a little bit provocative Jesus never came back to life he came back to new life the life that he rose in was new life, in the newness. He is the first of a new creation. Was he dead? Absolutely. Did he rise from the dead? Absolutely. But when he rose, he rose in his, in his humanity for the redeemed. It's why he goes out of his way to say, touch me, I'm not a spirit, I'm flesh and bone, look, I'm here. But he could be there and not be there. He could do this and not do that. He rose in the newness of what you and I will be in redemption. One day in resurrection form, you, real you, will be made in his image. That's why I worship and after that resurrection, there's a moment when Peter goes back fishing. I'm going fishing. It's what he knew. It's what he knew. I've made a mess of all of that. That last three and a half years, right? I, I really messed up. I was headstrong. I spoke out of place. Great things overshadowed by all the failures. Now I've denied him. I am a finished, broken man. I'm done. The best I can do is go back to what I know to do, which is fish. It's strange that when we fall, fall short of Jesus and we condemn ourselves, we go back to type. So Peter went back to type and he went fishing. And Jesus went down to the beach to find him. And he called him. You know the story. Jesus already had breakfast on the, on the go. You'll never outdo him. 
And he takes Peter aside and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, you know I really like you, Jesus. Peter, tend my sheep. Do you love me? You, you, know, you know I'm really fond of you, Jesus. Couldn't bring the word to say love. Doesn't accurately translate in our English, but he couldn't bring himself to say, I love you. It would have been an empty word out of his mouth because he knew what he'd done and how he felt and how shamed he was. When it mattered most, he said, I don't know him, I'm not with him, never followed him, he's not part of my life. How do you live with that? You live with your failure by renewal. The old passes away and all things become new. Jesus, attend my sheep, feed my lambs. What grace! You failed, Peter. I put a lot of trust in you. You didn't come through when I needed you most. Those words never left Jesus' lips. What came out of Jesus' mouth was, look after my little ones. He entrusted Peter to look after the newcomers. The new believers. Take care of the little band that you've got now. But boy, they're coming in their thousands. And it was only a few weeks later that 3,000 rushed into the kingdom of God when Peter preached. And an anointing of the Holy Spirit had come upon him and he preached about Christ in a way he never thought he could as he elevated the Lord. And thousands came into the kingdom and were added to the church daily. Because Peter knew he was forgiven. And out of your forgiveness, you worship. This is why I worship. Because he alone is worthy. He alone gives life. He alone can and has saved me. And if you're a child of God, he has saved you too. And continues the process of your salvation. But like Jesus said to the woman at the well, and she was a thirsty woman, not for water, but for life. You see, he said, you've had five husbands, and you're living illicitly with somebody now. You're on your sixth relationship, and you're still hungry and thirsty. It isn't satisfying you the way you live in. But I have water that you don't know anything about living water give me this water and she rushed off and she said come see a man who told me everything I ever did well he didn't tell her everything she ever did but he told her all that mattered your deepest thirst is embedded in your broken life but if you come to me for new life you'll never thirst again what a message he gave her. And what a message comes through to us. And he said these words to her. You worship what you don't know. And we worship what we do know. But the time is coming when we will worship in spirit and truth. And if you're not saved this morning. If you've never given your life to Christ. You can go through the motions of worship. But you're not worshipping. You're copying. You're singing karaoke. 
I'm judging you, but you need help. Because on this earth we are finite. And one day we will breathe our last breath. My auntie went to be with the Lord on Mother's Day last week. 92. Loved the Lord with all her heart, followed him all her life. Saved as a young child. Went through so many different experiences. Went to see her in the middle of the last week. She was failing fast. She had quite late on dementia. But it had not robbed her of her spirit. She would say, hello. I haven't seen you in ages. I'd have seen her two days before, but we actually hadn't seen us in ages. And we'd sit down, we'd like a cup of tea. Oh, that'd be nice. And Linda would go and make a cup of tea and I'd sit. All these recent memories. I sat in the living room, she said. I go to church on Sunday with my best friend. It's true. Somebody would come and take her to church. She said, I just love, I love the Lord. Everything about Jesus, spot on. Everything about scripture, spot on. Everything she ever believed in, spot on. Ask her about what she had for dinner, didn't know. Because the mind and the spirit is not the same thing. When she prayed with us, when we spoke to her about scripture, when we talked to her about church, her spirit was not hurt. Only her mind. And that's why it is not an intellectual assent to believing something or other, but an experience of the heart. And then your names have been written in the book of life. And when you breathe your last, and I breathe my last... He'll be there to greet you. Welcome home. My cousin rang me. She said, funeral arrangements. She said, um, I'm just thinking about sorting things out. Because when mum went home, and it was her words, when mum went home. And I thought, you see, as Christians, we have a vocabulary that we, we understand. If Jesus doesn't come, we're all going home. You'll all go home one day, but I think the world is in such a place at the moment that he may not be long coming, but it's another story. But I want to leave you with this, and, and thank you so much for taking time to just let me ramble at you um, some of my thoughts and feelings. If you're not saved, you could be. It's not difficult. You ask him to save you. Is it? You surrender. You accept that he died for you. You ask him to come into your life and make you a new person. And you ask him to do that. And if you ask, you shall receive. It's not difficult. You don't have to go through a 10-part program. You don't have to join a club. You don't have to learn any incantations. You don't have to go and sit somewhere on a mountain with your legs crossed. You don't have to dress differently. You just have to give up and give in and be renewed and have hope 
and be called a child of God because you recognize he died for you and he rose. And he wants you. He wants you. And some people here this morning, it's not prophecy, it's just statistics. Some people here feel unwanted. Well, Jesus wants you. And not just for a sunbeam either. (laughs) Jesus wants you because he loves you. And isn't that a good reason to worship him? Isn't that a good reason to say, worthy is the lamb to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing? Would you stand with me a moment, please? taken a long time and thank you you must be numb from the knees down but I do pray that we will feel somewhere that he accepts our worship so I'm going to ask you not to do anything outrageous or demonstrative I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes And just tell him, between you and him, in the silence of your own thoughts, you're worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy of it all. In a moment, the team will lead you in a song, I think, and I want you to keep remembering, he's worthy. And you have a song of the redeemed. Amen. Thank you, Phil. Thank you.